0: Welcome to Rethinking the News by the Christian Science Monitor. I'm Jessica Mendoza, one of the producers. Today, we're releasing the second episode in our new six-part science series, It's About Time, hosted by Rebecca Isulin and Owen O'Carroll. If you haven't listened to our first episode, check it out. Okay, let's get started. So the question that we ask everybody, what is your definition of time? Oh, gosh, that's a big question. <laughs> um,
1: I absolutely cannot define time, because time is really so many things. There's not just one time. <sighs> what, is, what is
0: time, really? Um,
2: yeah, I, I, don't, I don't really have one.
0: So the de- uh, I would define time. OK,
2: I'll start again.
0: I'm really stumped. I, I don't know if I have a definition for you. I kind of want to look up Merriam-Webster and just pretend that was my definition. This is It's About Time, a series all about... Time. I'm Owen O'Carroll. And I'm Rebecca Sullen.
1: In this science series, we interview experts on time. They'll help us unravel its mysteries.
0: Because understanding time more deeply can help us make the most of the time we have. So what is Time.
1: According to Oxford University Press, time is the most common noun in the English language. We use it all the time. Time, time. time,
0: time, time. Time, time.
1: Yet we find it so hard to
0: define. We spoke to a lot of experts for this series, and we asked every one of them to define time. They all struggled. And when they did finally define it,
3: their definitions were really different. It's so fundamental that most of the time people don't think about it, but it's always there in the background. That's Heather Dyke,
1: a philosopher of time. What she's saying is, time is hard to define
0: because it's just sort of there. It's such a slippery concept. This episode is about diving deep into that concept. We'll talk to a philosopher, a physicist, and a novelist who have all made it their life's work to answer the question, what is time? And maybe, by trying to figure out what time is and how it works, we can learn a little about how to reframe the challenges in our own lives. So I've personally always found philosophy kind of baffling. It just never seemed that useful in terms of people's day-to-day lives.
1: I mean, philosophy is aimed at the most baffling questions, the ones that can't be settled by normal science. So if you're not baffled on some level, I think you're not doing
3: it right. Comforting. Very comforting, Owen. But, you know, I think philosophy is also unavoidable. So as humans, we're sort of natural philosophers. We we want to understand the world. But there are so many different aspects to our understanding of the world in general, but I think this is particularly true of time.
0: That's Heather Dyke again. She's a philosopher of time at the University of Otago in Dunedin, New Zealand. Heather says her goal as a philosopher is to understand time in itself and how time connects to all different parts of our lives— from the politics of time to the psychology of time.
1: Heather's understanding of time as a philosopher helped her put into perspective a difficult personal decision.
0: That decision centered around an 18th-century manor house in the English countryside.
3: Well, it was built by my ancestors in the 1730s. Three stories, Big blocks of sandstone, um, arched windows, had beautiful gardens. It was full of old, you know, family portraits. And my great-grandfather, he was massively into his big game hunting. So we actually had an elephant's foot that had been made into a whiskey decanter holder. You know, it was really like a kind of an old stately home that you'd go and visit.
0: Heather moved to the house when she was 12, and she used to visit it before then.
3: It's a vast place, but they didn't have spare bedrooms for us, so we camped in the, in the garden.
0: By 2012, Heather has moved to New Zealand and lives with her husband and children. And she realizes that she needs to make a decision because 300 years really does a number on a place. Should she try to save the house or sell it?
3: My parents were getting elderly and it was kind of crumbling. <laughs> you know, it had a leaky roof and it had chimneys that were falling down, windows that were falling out.
0: Heather decides that she wants to try to turn it around, which would mean making enough money to keep up the maintenance. So she moves with her family from New Zealand back to England, and they try to make it work. But after seven years of trying, it becomes obvious that the house just can't be saved.
3: Nobody ever wants to be the generation that gives up and sells up, but there really was no other option the last Morland, which was my maiden name, the last Morland to make any money died in 1784. That just made me think, oh, we're not doing the wrong thing here. We're doing the right thing. <laughs> this should have been done a while ago.
0: <laughs> you might be thinking, what does any of this have to do with time? The decision felt like the right thing to do, but it was still really painful for Heather. And her philosophy on time actually helped her come to terms with what happened. Heather subscribes to a philosophical theory of time called the B-theory.
3: The B-theory says that time is a little bit like space in that the moment that we designate as now is no more real than any other moment.
0: What she's saying is all times exist, regardless of whether we're perceiving them or not. So Owen chatting with me right now in 2021 is as real as Owen back in, let's say, 1990.
3: I treat now a little bit like we treat the notion of here. You know, I'm here in Dunedin, you're over there in, I don't even know what, what city you're in. California. California. There you go, <laughs> thank you. Um, but I don't think that California is any less real than Dunedin, just because it's not here, mm. right? And so that, so that's kind of analogous to how the b theorist thinks about now. I, d- I don't think that 1733 or 2120 are any less real than this moment now, I just think that they're located at different times, just like California is located at a different place from me.
0: In the B-theory, there's no present moment. We label things past, present, and future to match up with our perception of the world. But what we consider the present isn't special in this theory. I know this is mind-blowing. It's really counterintuitive to our experience. But Heather says it's how time really works. And the theory is really comforting to her. Back to the manor house. So in the B theory, is it that you are always going to sell the house?
3: No, that's not true. Because, um, so it is tricky to get your head around this. So just because the time is real, the the future time is real, doesn't mean that what happens at that time happens of necessity. It happens because of the things that happened before it. Mm -hmm. And those things can include free choices. So take me back to 2012 when we first went there. Mm -hmm. It wasn't then fixed that we would sell in 2019. Um, That came about because of the various choices and decisions and and other external factors. Things might have gone differently, but as it turns out, they didn't.
0: When something bad happens, it's comforting for her that our decisions aren't the only reason things turned out the way they did. To her, the future is not totally limitless – whether or not the theory is true, it resonates with Heather and helped her deal with the pain of selling her family's
3: house. So I now can look back on that as a kind of finite, closed, like it was a return journey, do you know what I mean? Whereas on the way there, it felt like an open future. <laughs> and I think my B-theoretic view of time it sort of helps me with that because I don't think the future is this kind of open realm. I do think that we are able to affect the future Um, and our choices and decisions matter, they have causal influence. But I don't think of it as this kind of open realm of possibility. (laughs) I think that helps in cases when things don't go as planned.
0: The B-theory's foundation is built off of physics. In particular, Albert Einstein's theory of special relativity... physics is foundational to many understandings of time.
1: Time, if it really exists, is a characteristic of the physical universe. So if we're going to find out what time really is, it makes sense to ask a physicist.
2: I thought if I understand Einstein, I can understand how to build a time machine.
1: That's physicist Ron Mallet. He became a physicist because he wanted to build a time machine. Yes, you heard that right. And he succeeded, kind of. He says he actually came up with a design for a real time machine,
0: a real hypothetical time machine with real science and lasers. A childhood tragedy led to Dr. Mal's desire to do that.
2: My father was a television repairman, and I idolized him. I mean, for me, the sun rose and set on him. He was just everything for me.
1: Growing up, Dr. Mallet's dad would give him scientific toys, and he inspired his love of reading. Then, when Dr. Mallet was 10, his father...
2: Died of a massive heart attack suddenly when he was only 33 years old, and it completely devastated my world. I went into a black hole.
1: His father's death plunged his family into poverty. His mom was now a single black mother in 1955, with four children to raise.
2: A year after he died, I came across the book that changed my life. It was H.G. Wells's The Time Machine. So today, man is successfully probing deep into the mysteries of the universe. Can he penetrate the greatest mystery of all, time itself?
1: The Time Machine was written in 1895. It tells a story of a man who travels hundreds of thousands of years into the future.
2: At the beginning of it, it said that Scientific people know very well that time is just a kind of space and we can move forward and backward in time just as we can in space.
1: This quote is from The Time Traveler, the book's main character. It's part of his explanation of how his time machine works, which treats time as though it were a fourth spatial dimension.
2: And when I read those words, I thought, oh, this is it. This is the thing that is going to allow me to see my father again. If I could build a time machine, I can go back and see him again. My mother had kept these old television and radio parts of my father, and I even tried to put something together that looked like the illustration, I mean, uh, with bicycle parts and this thing, and of course nothing worked.
1: After all, Dr. Mallet was 10 years old at the time, but that first failure didn't stop him. A few years later, he found another book at the Salvation Army.
2: And it was a paperback that had Einstein on the cover of it, standing next to an hourglass.
1: That book was called The Universe and Dr. Einstein.
2: And so I got the paperback, and I didn't understand most of it, but I did pick up the essence that Einstein said, there are ways you can alter time.
1: And so Dr. Mallet became a theoretical physicist, specializing in Albert Einstein's general theory of relativity, using it to create a theoretical time machine. He says he showed that it's mathematically possible to use lasers to bend time back on itself. To understand how Dr. Mallet does that, we first need to talk about Einstein and his theory of relativity. There are actually sort of two theories, really. Einstein's work is the basis of Dr. Mallet's real hypothetical time machine.
0: It's also the foundation of physicists' modern understanding of how time works.
1: First, we'll talk about Einstein's special theory of relativity.
2: Suppose that you're standing in front of a vehicle and a friend who's moving in the vehicle throws something at you.
1: Let's say that the vehicle is going at 60 miles an hour and that the ball your friend is throwing is going at 10 miles an hour.
2: Well, if you're standing outside the vehicle, the object isn't going to be coming at you at 10 miles an hour. It's going to be coming in at you at the speed of the ball plus the speed of the vehicle.
1: If you're in the car, the ball is going 10 miles an hour. But if you're standing outside the car, you'll see that the ball is coming at you at 70 miles an hour. In other words, how fast something moves depends on your frame of reference. But by the beginning of the 20th century, physicists had hit a stumbling block. This principle did not apply to light light seemed to travel at the same speed regardless of how fast the observer was moving.
0: And that's weird because everything else changes depending on your frame of reference.
2: What Einstein said is that the only way that the speed of light could be the same no matter how fast the source of light could be is that something else has to be changing. Space has to be changing and time has to be changing. Time has to be slowing down so that the speed of light can stay the same.
0: And that is the special theory of relativity. This was totally
1: revolutionary. It created a whole new world for physicists to explore. Before this, everyone thought that time was absolute. Now, they understood it was actually relative. Hence, relativity. Special relativity became the basis for Einstein's theory of gravitation, which he called General relativity.
2: The special theory says that time is affected by speed. The general theory says time is affected by gravity.
0: The general theory was what Dr. Mallett based his time machine math on. This stuff is complicated. Dr. Mallett has spent his entire career on this topic. Einstein spent years developing the theory. It just takes some time to absorb. Einstein's basic idea was that gravity bends
1: time and space.
2: If gravity can affect time and light can produce gravity, then light can affect time. That was my breakthrough by realizing that light can alter time.
1: Dr. Mallet proved mathematically that by using a beam of laser light,
2: it would be possible to twist space and to eventually twist time into a loop. And along that loop in time, it might be possible to travel back into the past.
1: Like we said, A real hypothetical time machine, as in, the hypothesis is real, and the math plays out. But he hasn't actually been able to build
0: it. It's too expensive. It could cost billions of dollars in the end. And instead of finding this infuriating, Dr. Mallet is pleased.
2: For me, the satisfaction is that I actually have achieved the goal that I had of finding out a way that a time machine could possibly be built Based on Einstein's work. Uh, unfortunately, it won't allow me to uh, go back to see my father yet.
1: So, what is time from a physics standpoint? Time is malleable. Before Einstein, time and space were absolute. But Einstein showed us that the real absolute in our universe is not time or space, it's the speed of light. Einstein's theories give us all kinds of new physics and new technologies, like GPS, nuclear power, and even those old cathode ray televisions.
0: They haven't yet gotten us back to the past, but Einstein's theories still open up a whole universe of ideas for all sorts of thinkers. In fact, physics is the starting point for this episode's third and final story. I really wanted to talk to a science fiction writer about time. In science fiction, you can kind of hand-wave the mechanics of time travel. It doesn't need to be possible. You don't need to fully know how time travel would work to explore all of its juicy dramatic consequences.
1: Still, science fiction writers often know and incorporate a lot of physics into their stories, even if a lot of that is left off the page.
0: But in a sci-fi story, the answer to the question, what is time, is ultimately whatever the author wants it to be.
4: Time travel is kind of a literalization of memory. When we think about the past, we're metaphorically traveling back in time.
0: That's Ted Chang. He wrote the short story that the 2016 film Arrival is based on. It's called Story of Your Life. Both the film and the story are about a linguist who is trying to make sense of an alien language. Through that work, she begins to understand time as the aliens do. She can remember her future as well as her past. Ted has written two collections of short stories. The second collection includes the time travel story, The Merchant and the Alchemist's Gate. In a lot of his work, characters try to come to terms with their past.
4: Time travel stories are about how we feel about our past, they can offer a kind of wish fulfillment, you know, giving us an opportunity to make decisions differently.
0: And most of the time, these stories
4: are about regret, about events in our past, decisions we made that we wish we had made differently.
0: The Merchant and the Alchemist's Gate is about a fabric merchant in medieval Baghdad. He meets a shop owner who has a time travel portal. The shop owner tells him about three others who have used the portal before the merchant decides whether or not to use it himself. In the story, Ted's rules of time travel are based on physicist Kip Thorne's wormhole version of time travel, which obeys Einstein's theory of relativity. According to Kip Thorne, even if we could time travel, we can't change the past. But the vast majority of time travel fiction is about people going back and changing their past. Ted is okay with stories like that.
4: Mainly because I think that they are trying to convey a positive message. They are trying to tell people that you have agency, that you can change your life, you can make a difference. I think those are good things for a story to do. But, you know, in reality, we cannot go back and do things differently.
0: Ted found himself wanting to write fiction that took that less popular route.
4: I think people don't want time travel stories in which you cannot change the past. We usually find them depressing. They are usually couched as tragedies. So one of the things that I was trying to do with Merchant Alchemist Gate was to write a story about time travel in which you could not change the past, but where that was not a tragedy.
0: In his story, the fabric merchant had experienced a loss 20 years before that left him hollow. He felt like he couldn't atone for his past mistakes. I'm not going to spoil the story, so all I'll say is it ends with this powerful line. Nothing erases the past. There is repentance, there is atonement, and there is forgiveness. That is all, but that is enough.
4: Time travel stories have the potential to help us reconcile ourselves with our past. Because while we cannot change the things that happened to us. We cannot change the decisions that we made. We can potentially change how we feel about what happened to us. I'd like to see more stories in which time travel is used as a way of recognizing that even if you cannot change the past, you can change your relationship to the past. You can grow and learn.
0: Wi Fi writer Ted Chang, philosopher Heather Dyke, and physicist Ron Mallet all explored different aspects of time. We need to look at different perspectives because time touches every part of existence. Shifting our perspective on time can also help us make the best of the time we have. So, Rebecca, what's your definition of time? I think time doesn't have a neat definition, it just really depends on the context. And I think back to Every single one of our interviews. And I realized why both of us always preface the question, how do you define time, by saying that it was a really unfair question. It's just so hard to define. It's
1: almost like the more we use a word, the harder it is to define. And we use the word time all the time. Do you have a definition? You know, before we started this series, I came up with what I thought was a pretty good definition of time. Time, I thought, is. The perceived dimension of reality along which change occurs.
0: A very simple definition. <laughs> what, what do you think now? You know, and now I think I have a better definition. Time is this. So, time is silence? Not necessarily
1: silence. It's the thing that you're experiencing as you experience silence.
0: Thanks for listening. We hope you feel inspired to read or watch a good time travel story. Don't forget to subscribe to Rethinking the News wherever you get your podcasts. And leave us a rating or comment.
1: And share this series with your friends, family, and coworkers. You can find us at csmonitor.com
0: time. This series is hosted and produced by me, Rebecca Asoulin. My co-host is Owen O'Carroll. It was produced with Jessica Mendoza. Editing by Samantha Liney perfoss Clay Collins, and Noelle Swan. Sound design by Noel Flatt and Morgan Anderson. With production support from Abraham Onofeko. This story was produced by the Christian Science Monitor. Copyright 2021.